Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. Some of these ideas are actively helping us in our mission to invest in changing lives. Others are an important part of the landscape in which we operate. I'm Jonathan Charles, and today we're discussing gender equality. Our Chief Counselor for Social Issues and the Director of the Gender Team at the EBRD, Michaela Bergman, is here to discuss what gender equality means and why it matters. Our vision at the EBRD is of a world in which women and men have the same rights and opportunities to secure finance, establish and lead businesses, take part in the decisions affecting their lives and enjoy equal and safe access to public services. But achieving those goals sometimes seems to be a bit of an uphill struggle. Michaela, what does gender equality mean and why is it so important? So gender equality means that um, men and women have the same access to opportunities and have the same rights as each other. It doesn't mean that men and women are equal, but they're given the same opportunity to exercise their rights. So why is it important? It's important because women comprise half the world's population. So why wouldn't women have the same opportunities and men? And it's a great loss for us not to take the advantage of men and women's respective skills, brain power, energy. It's very interesting and subtle difference that you draw there between the idea of equality and equal access or equal right to do things. Is that really a difference? Yes, I think it is, because we're not saying that men and women are equal in everything that they do or they think. What we're saying and what we're trying to address is the fact that women don't have the same opportunities to advance their skills, to take advantage of what they've learned and to take part in the economy or take part in decision making. They don't have the same opportunities because there are other barriers that they face. Now, development has closed some gender gaps in recent years, but other gaps do persist. What, what is the big picture? Are things improving? Are they getting better in some countries and areas of life or are they getting worse in, in countries? So it's a very mixed picture. In some countries, it's getting much better. If you look at, say, countries like Bangladesh, it's really improved. You look at other countries, it's got worse. So in some of EBRD's countries of operations, things have got worse. Um, for example, in Tajikistan, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, women have less access to education and to other services and play a lesser part in the economy than they used to. Um, and there's some countries where there's been real efforts to close the gap and other countries where it hasn't been a priority. I'm always a bit surprised that this is seen to be an issue because gender equality isn't just a core development objective in its own right. It's also, isn't it, good economics, smart economics. When more women work, economies grow. That's what the OECD says. Uh, so why, why are we arguing all this? Why isn't more being done to, to close the gender gap? You'd have thought it would just be a no-brainer. for. You government. would have thought so. But... It seems that, indeed, many people say you know, it is good for economics. Of course, if an economy doesn't take advantage of all of its human capital, of all of its knowledge, then it, you know, it's going to deprive itself. Also, if it doesn't you know, take account of a diversity of opinions and approaches, it's also depriving itself. But just taking part of the, in the economy cannot be seen in isolation. The reason that many women don't take part in the economy is because of many other uh, barriers. 
both cultural and legal. So in some countries, for example, women will be working over five hours a day on unpaid work, whereas men will be doing 35 minutes. In some countries, women are not able to pursue careers in certain sectors. So, for example, in the Kyrgyz Republic and in the Russian Federation, there are over two or 300 uh, laws prevent women from taking part. So there are, many, uh, there are many reasons why women don't even get the opportunity to take part in the economy. So if a woman, for example, has to spend over five hours a day taking care of children, older people, doing the cooking or whatever, they have less time to take part or to participate in the economy. And in some countries, we've had uh, issues of women not being able to get loans as well, because they often don't have assets in their name, do they? There's a collateral issue. There's a huge collateral. Well, there's a collateral issue. The interesting thing is, while women may not have the same rights to inherit land or other assets, even if they do, we've seen examples where the cultural values still play a role. So although a man and woman may own property by half, in order for the woman to use the property, for example, to um, as collateral to ask, to get a loan, she will still have to ask her husband's permission. And so it still revolves around dinner table talk. How do you overcome that? Very good question, very difficult question. I think that it's it's just continuing questioning and trying to understand what these cultural barriers are. There are things that governments can do and there are things that the private sector can do and there are things that women can do for themselves. And of course, there are things that men can do. I think for a start, when we've talked to governments about uh, why women can't work in certain careers, they've been astounded that there are so many laws that prevent them. There is also, I think, for many, many years of denial, women think that they are not able to participate in, in the economy in certain ways, or they're not of value in making certain decisions. I think, you know, there needs to be um, more convincing of women, um, supporting women to enable them to achieve their potential. And there are also some policies in terms of how the workplace is organized, flexible working, looking at how pensions are organized, looking at how you pay for care. All these things can help women do other things and take part in society. Yeah, there's a staggering fact that really hit me in the face, and that's in our, the EBRD's a recent transition report, says between a quarter and a half of overall inequality of opportunity in most countries is explained by gender. I have to say I'm not surprised. Unfortunately, I'm not surprised. It's... You can go right back. I mean, it's girls that don't get the same opportunities at school. It translates it or they're forced into certain um, educational subjects. And it just follows, follows through. And there are cultural barriers. However, some of us think that they don't exist. They still exist. You're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help to change people's lives. You can have your say, of course, at How Can We Bridge the Gender Gap? Uh, you can contact us uh, at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook, uh, and the hashtag is Pocket Economics. I'm Jonathan Charles. Today we're discussing gender equality and why it matters with our guest, Michaela Bergman. Uh, Michaela, what can the international community do, organisations like the EBRD, in combating uh, gender inequality? I think that their role is to support governments into making the right policies, supporting, you know, uh, private companies in which we may exist to showcase good examples. I think 
There is the value of the data that we collect because if something's not measured, you can't do anything about it. As you probably know, there's a paucity of, of gender desegregated data throughout the world. We can certainly help with that because I think once you have data, you can make a point, you can learn lessons from it, and you can maybe develop policies based on new facts. From what you're saying, you know, if I think about some of the things we do at the EBRD, like special credit lines for women in business so that women can get business loans, it's actually not so much about that specific product, is it? It sounds as though more it's a way of, of nudging cultural change. I agree. It is about nudging cultural change. And in the same way as you talk about um, increasing, you know, women's ability to access credit, it's also about uh, increasing women's ability to access employment opportunities. I mean, most women are actually in employment. They're not self-employed. And the more that we can help to change the workplace and increase people's awareness of the constraints in the current work setup, um, the more we can help that. Because if women have more economic independence, that also, not only can they contribute to the economy, but they can also play a bigger role in society and it becomes more equal. I think that helping women to both enter the workplace and progress through the decision-making ladder of the workplace, the better. Now, you're just back from Egypt. So what do you see over there in terms of the situation with gender equality? What, what's happening, do you think? So Egypt's quite interesting because, well, the gaps are large. You've only got 20% of women in the formal labor uh, force. Um, you don't have the same access to credit. But if you look at the legal and the, the legal law, if you look at the laws and you look at the constitution, you know, there are no formal rights. A lot of the inequality stems from informal barriers, from cultural attitudes, from, again, this um, inequality of balance about what women have to do outside of the workplace. It's about that rather than the formal constraints, because, you, you know, you have fairly well educated um, uh, women, especially in the cities, and they are not able to access um, the same employment opportunities or other opportunities. Do you see any signs for optimism there? There I do. I think, I think there is, um, next year's going to be the year of women in uh, Egypt. There's the new the constitution, says there's supposed to be no discrimination. The issue is how you're going to enforce the new laws. I think that's going to be the challenge. But there's quite a momentum at the moment to see what they can do. They need economic growth in Egypt for a start. So you know, one thing is to get more women in the workplace. And the other thing is, you know, you've got well-educated women, so why are we not using them? I mean, there are only 66 women judges in Egypt. So there needs to be a change everywhere, um, not just in the economy, in the judiciary, in the legislature, and in the executive as well. You need more voices of women to be heard. And that's probably actually the same in many countries, isn't it? So, I mean, finally, if you look at the whole landscape, do you think gender equality is achievable? I mean, do you have an optimistic view of that or is it a continuing struggle, which is a, clearly somewhere? Where I would like, as an idealist, I would like to say that it could be achievable. What I think is realistic, at least in my lifetime, is that we close the gaps. We'll never make it equal, but there's quite a lot of work to do to make it more equal than it is now. It's a long march.
very long. Michaela, thank you very much indeed. That's it for today. Do share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud and ebrd.com slash podcast to download the previous episodes. And remember that reviewing and rating Pocket Economics helps others to find it. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>